Amen. As you see, let me invite you to open up your Bibles to Mark chapter 3. Mark chapter 3 is where we'll, uh, where we'll be this morning. If you're a guest with us, what we've been doing is going through the Gospel of Mark. We started that in January, and uh, we'll keep going through till we get, into, uh, get to the end of the Gospel of Mark. Mark chapter 3 is where we are. I want to say Happy Mother's Day to you, all of you that are mothers. And if you're with your mother, make sure that you uh, treat her really well today. Carry out to eat somewhere, I guess, on Mother's Day. You know, we, we believe in families at Hickory Grove. We uh, believe so much in families. We're, today we'll have a parent-child dedication. It's really a, a dedication. The family says, we want our child to grow up in the fear and ad, admonition of the Lord. So that's really what today is about. But also in the rest of our ministries, our ministries are set up to help families disciple their children. We just came off uh, Awana celebration. Awana is in place to not just help children know the Bible, but help families. They don't learn it unless families are investing in their children. So we believe in the power of a family when it comes to teaching a child the gospel of the Lord Jesus. And today starts it for many of you with a parent-child dedication. All right, if you have found Mark chapter 3, why don't you stand? We'll read together God's Word. Mark chapter 3. <clears throat> Come all the way down, Mark chapter 3, down to verse 31, and we'll read from verse 31 to verse 35. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of our God stands forever. Let's begin verse 31. And his mother and his brothers came, standing outside, and they sent to him and called to him. A crowd was, sit a crowd was sitting around him, they said to him, Your mother and your brothers are outside seeking you. He answered them, Who are my mother and my brothers? Looking about at those who sat around him, he said, Here are my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of God, he is my brother and sister and mother. Join me as we pray. Father, I pray that you would draw close to those in need today. We ask that you would be especially close to the women that have a hard time on Mother's Day. I pray that your presence would be such that that it's unusual how you've strengthened them today. I pray that there would be a real sense of being in the family of God. That even if a family is completely dysfunctional, you've brought us to the family of God. I pray you would make that real today among your people. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Maybe may be seated. <clears throat> Family is everything. A lot of you are here today because of family. Family is everything, but family can be tricky sometimes. It can be difficult. Sometimes your family provides the greatest security and the greatest affection. 
greatest support. Sometimes, sometimes that's your family. Other times, in the midst of your family, your family can bring the worst heartache, the worst anxiety. That dichotomy of family is oftentimes most intense around Mother's Day. For a lot of you sitting here, Mother's Day is a really wonderful day. There's some mothers here that have their children and grandchildren. There's this real sense of, of God's kindness. It's a blessing. Mother's Day is a really good day for you. So we set aside Mother's Day. It's the right day to, to rightly honor your mother and respect her, this, this woman you hope to emulate. For other people, Mother's Day carries a a dull heaviness of unrealized dreams or, or unreached potential or sometimes even un, unmitigated tragedy. If it's, true, if, it's, if it's true that family is everything, if family is everything, when the family is, is, is fractured or bruised or even torn apart, what do you do? Do then? How, how do you how do you keep your bearings? How do you stay solid? How do you fight off the encroaching? Maybe not they're not there yet, but these encroaching clouds of depression. How do you fight those off? You know, it's providential that we are here at this passage, uh, Mark chapter three, verse thirty-one and following. I, I didn't plan it like that. I don't ever know when Mother's Day is. Typically, somebody reminds me it's Mother's Day. I then pass that down to my son. It's Mother's Day. I didn't plan this passage, but here in this passage, from verse 31 to 35, you have the word mother five times in succession. It's the most densely populated mother passage in the whole Bible. Five times the word mother. Here in this passage, God is showing us that there is, a, there is a family that is greater than family. Let's set it in the context. This is what we do here. We go to a passage, read it, and find out what's happening in the context of the passage. What you have here in front of you is one of the most painful and delicate situation, uh, situations of Jesus' earthly ministry. Jesus is still in Capernaum. Off the Sea of Galilee, he's probably at Peter's house. They're crowded into this house. If you go up the page a little bit, uh, in verse 21 of chapter 3, we find out in verse 21, Jesus' family has come to do an intervention. You know what an intervention is. Somebody's life goes off the rails. People that love that person go over there to intervene. His mother and his brothers have shown up. He has four brothers. At least four brothers, James and Joseph and Simon and Judas. He has sisters. We don't know how many sisters. We don't see their names. He has a mother named Mary. He has a father named Joseph. We have not heard from Joseph since he was 12 years old in the temple. We don't know what happened to Joseph. No record of that. But his mother and his brothers have shown up. And verse 21 tells us they've shown up because they think he is out of his mind. They don't believe in him yet. 
Now, Mary will believe, so will the brothers. They'll write a couple of books in the New Testament. They don't believe in him, in him at this point. And this passage, in verse 31 and following, this passage shows us that Jesus, he, he can't be untrue to his mission, and he won't be unkind to his mother. But he must establish a new order of relationship that is not dependent on biological family dynamics. But a relationship that is dependent on the binding power of the Spirit of God through faith in Jesus. That's why there's such, if you'll read it, that's why there's such great hope in this passage. There's hope for, for every fractured family member. Hope for every, every broken dream. Every childless woman. Every man that's guilty of some terrible sin. Every person that has contributed in some way to the dysfunction of a family, there, there's hope here. There's, there's hope as the Lord Jesus himself stands with open arms to welcome you into his family. Because when you are in Christ, you are part of God's family. I'm in Christ. I'm a Christian. If you're in Christ, you are my sister or my brother. You're part of God's family. So if that's the case, then let's find out what does the passage say about God's family? How is it described here? The question becomes, what does God's family look like? Let's go through it. Here's the first one. Number one, God's family is a gospel family, a gospel family. Set the scene in verses 31 and 32. When I read it, you, you see the presumption that Mary and Jesus' brothers have. Let's read it. <clears throat> and his mother... And his brothers, they came and they're standing outside. They sent. So they've told someone outside. That person goes to the door. And then inside, they've sent and they've called him. And a crowd was sitting around him and they're saying, hey, your mom's out there. Your, your, your mother and your brothers, they're outside and they're, they want you. So, so get the scene now. Here is Jesus' earthly family whom he obviously loves. He loves them. We, we know that in John chapter 19, Jesus hanging on the cross. He says to John, behold your mother. He takes care of his mother even from the cross. He, he loves his mother. There is a close earthly bond that Jesus has with his mother. As you know, a lot of you are here. There's a close earthly bond that you have with your family. So there's a... There's a a natural assumption, even though the house is crowded, people are crammed in there. Your mom shows up, you're going to find her a seat. He's going to respond. We understand that family sort of gets a free pass with things. We do Christmas Eve service around here, and uh, my parents will come. Now, I've got a lot of things going on when it comes time to church on Sunday or when we're having the services. But my mom will say, hey, can you save us a seat? So there's another thing for me to do. I'll save her a seat. Why? Because she's my mother. So I'm going to do. Carry my phone with me. If Connie calls me, regardless, if she calls right this second, which I hope she will not, I'm going to stop and answer the phone. 
I don't do that for everybody. It's a special dispensation. I mean, we understand that. You understand the connection of family, and especially with your mother. That's not what happens here. That's not at all the way Jesus responds to his own earthly mother. Why? Because there is a family that is greater than family. Yes, we, yes, we believe in the nuclear family. A mother and a father and children, we believe the people that live under that roof together, the nuclear family is a great thing. It's the best thing. It's a, it's a gift from God. It's a common grace. But you don't have to be a Christian to think that's a good thing. The nuclear family, it's not the, it's not the ultimate. And here, Jesus is establishing something. He's establishing a, a new order. A different kind of family. It's good for us to remember that Mary, who's pictured here, the mother of Jesus. It's good for us to remember that Mary was used by God to bring Jesus into the world, but she is like the rest of us. In order for her to actually be part of the family of God, she will need to repent of her sins and put her faith in Jesus. She will have to believe the gospel to come into the family. Gospel, when I say gospel, what do I mean by that? The gospel, according to the Bible, is God is a creator, created all of us in his image, created you. You have dignity because God created you in his image. But the image of God in us is disfigured, is messed up by our own sin. That sin is not just something that brings us down. That sin is such an offense to a holy God that this holy God must punish that sin. The sin doesn't just take us far from God. It's described as if we are dead in sin. It's a crime against God. So God is rightly angry at sin and will punish that sin. But that's not where he leaves us. He's not just a judge. He is also love. The gospel says that God in his love sends Jesus, who's all God and all man. Jesus who lives a perfect life. That's important because he did what we can't do. You try not to sin. Jesus did it completely perfect. And when... You get to the cross, there's an exchange that happens. The cross is a form of punishment. And there at the cross, God takes all the punishment that you will ever get. This is important. When you go through hard times, it's not God judging you. He disciplines those he loves, but he punishes the, the, the criminals. So Jesus on the cross take the, takes the wrath, and that perfect life he lived, he puts it on you. So then in order for you to be adopted into the family of God, in order for God to be your father, you have to come through faith in Jesus. Everyone that ever becomes a Christian becomes a Christian by believing that Jesus lived and died in your place. You see, God's family is a gospel family. There's more to it, though. Let's keep going. Here's something else about God's family. Number two, God's family is an exclusive family. Exclusive. I won't stay here very long, but it's important, I think, uh, to see the very clear symbolism here in verses 31 and 32. There's, there's clear symbolism. There's some on the inside, some on the outside. Notice it with me. Verse 31, 32. And his mother and his brothers came, and they're standing outside. 
They sent to him and called to him, and a crowd, now this is inside the house, a crowd was sitting around him, and they said to him, your mother and your brothers are outside seeking you. Jesus is on the inside of the house with his disciples and other people. Down in verse 34, I'll get to it in a minute, but don't get ahead. Verse 34, Jesus will say, this is my family. But, but for now, it's, it's enough for us to see that there's some on the outside, some on the inside. Just, I want you to see just the straightforward symbolism. Those on the inside, a couple of things. One, um, there's no, no, no physical family connection is necessary to actually be a part of the family of God. You don't have to know anybody. You don't have to be somebody's grandchild. God doesn't have grandchildren. They're all children. Today we'll do a baby dedication, and every one of those children will dedicate. Every one of those children, in order for that child, that daughter, to, to actually become a Christian, she will have to come to the realization she's a sinner and see that Christ saves and believe. That's how she'll... There's a real understanding. There are some on the outside and, and some on the inside. In fact, we do that here at Hickory Grove when we do the Lord's Supper. When we take the Lord's Supper, we consider it a family meal. And so you'll often hear me or Kyler, when he explains, we'll talk about who should take the Lord's Supper. The Lord's Supper is designed for those who have put their faith in Jesus and followed through with baptism, meaning you're part of the family of God. And those that are not to take it are not in the family. So that even, even when we take the Lord's Supper, there's a real tangible line that some are in and some are out. The language we use um, can be confusing in the world because we, we want to have this commonality with other people, talk about God as, as a creator of all. And it's true that all people are created in the image of God, but not all people are children of God. While we share a, a, a common humanity, we don't share an actual common bond with everybody. And, and here in this passage, even Jesus' own biological brothers, there is half-brothers, they are considered outside, they're outsiders, compared with the ones on the inside who are not related to him. And, and the glorious truth is that Jesus makes provision for each of us to actually be on the inside. A lot of you know the Gospel of John. If you haven't ever read a Gospel in the New Testament, John is a great one to read. Um, it's... it's it's almost like a movie when you're watching it. John chapter 1 is the prologue, and there in the prologue, John tells us of Jesus, and I think he might be talking about Jesus' family rejecting him. Listen to what I, listen to what I read here. John chapter 1, verse 10, 11, 12, and 13. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. Here's where I think it may be talking about his family. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. 
You see, when you are in Christ, you are part of God's family. God's family is a gospel family. God's family is an exclusive family. Let me give you a third way to consider this. God's family is a diverse family. Diverse is an overused word, but I want to use it one more time. God's family is a diverse family. Now, when I read verses 31 through 34, I want you to picture who might be in that house crammed in there listening to Jesus. Who are the people sitting there? Let me read it to you. His mother and his brothers came, standing outside. They sent to him, and they called to him. And a crowd was sitting around him. Who is that crowd? A crowd was sitting around him. They said to him, your mother and your brothers are outside seeking you. And he answered them, who are my mother and my brothers? Looking out, he said, about those who sat around him, here. Here are my mother and my brothers. Now, picture who it is he's talking about. His flesh and blood are outside. These people are not his flesh and blood. Who do we know? We know the 12 are, prop- the 12 are there. So you have the 12 disciples. Those guys are a ragtag bunch. Fishermen, you've got a tax collector, you've got this zealot, politically, politically minded zealot. You've got people sitting there beside them that folks thought they were completely insane, possessed by demons. You have some who were paralyzed, they've been healed. It's just a motley crew in front of it. All kinds of people from all walks of life blended into one family by the love of Christ. And because of what God does in us through Christ, we look at things radically different. Radically different than we did before. Years ago in um, church growth world, years ago there was a movement in order to help churches grow. You needed to build either a church or a ministry around the principle of homogeneity, homogeneity. Homogeneity is, homos means same. Geneity is either kind or genes, but kind, same kind. You built a ministry by making sure that people of the same kind. So you find some sort of commonality in an activity or a ministry so that, so that Homogeneity, so that the same kind of people will, they'll find some security, some commonality. So for sometimes you might have something like, you might have biker church, biker church, or still existing today even as cowboy church. I want to go to cowboy church sometime, maybe just one Sunday. Cowboy church, or you might have traditional church, or contemporary church, or modern church, or white church, or black church. So that you, you have this shared commonality for the people when they come together, they feel like they fit. It's homogeneity. But see, see if, you have, if you have a shared commonality that holds you together, you don't actually need Christ to do it. Anybody can do that. And, and God's family, God's family, The shared commonality is not that we have the same background or have the same interests. The shared commonality is the gospel of Jesus Christ. And the bond that the gospel of Jesus Christ brings is stronger 
than any other bond there is. I don't know who said it. I wish I had invented to say it. I'm sure I didn't because I'm not very imaginative. But the truth of the matter is, blood is thicker than water, and Christ's blood is thicker than blood. The eastern part of the eastern part of the continent of Africa, there's a small country named Burundi. Burundi is a, a landlocked country. Up until the 19th century, it was just indigenous people there, but late to the empire building, the Germans came in. But after World War I, the Germans were thrown out, the Belgians were there. And out of that small country came our associate worship pastor at Harris Campus. His name is Olivier. Olivier grew up in this agricultural country, grew up in a different culture than me, has the surname Haki Zamanan by a series of events, made his way to the United States, speaks five languages, plays several instruments, sings. In fact, he's just, just graduated with his doctorate from Southern Seminary. But we are remarkably different. I grew up in East Charlotte, off Albemarle Road, Burnham Woods, and then in Mint Hill. Played football. He likes soccer. <laughs> I came up a white kid. Came up a black kid in Africa. You put the two of us together. We, we have nothing. Nothing. But because of Christ, I have more in common and a stronger bond with Olivier than I do any unsaved white guy that likes cars and reading history. You know why? Because there's no family, there's no family like the family of God. It's a gospel family, it's, it's, it's an exclusive family, it's a diverse family. I'll add another to this. You'll find it there in verse 34. God's family is a respectful, a respectful family. Let me show you what I mean when I say that. To get this, you've got to slow down a little bit and notice the, the wording and the insertion of categories in verse 34 and 35. So you have to see the, the balance of the way things, the way Jesus is saying things, and then he inserts something in verse 35. Let me start back up in verse 33. And come forward, reading it. <clears throat> he answered them and said, Who are my mother and brothers? Looking about at those who sat around him, he said, Here are my mother and brothers. For whoever does the will of God, he is my brother. He changed it. And sister. Where'd that come from? And mother. So, so you see the balance. Mother, brother, mother, brother. Mother, sister, brother. What's he doing there? And we already have said Jesus loved his mother. We know that there were many women who were among the disciples that followed Jesus. We know that there were women who were the very last ones at the cross, the very first ones there, Easter Sunday morning. Acts 1 tells us that his own mother is part of the early church in Jerusalem, vibrant part of the prayer meeting. 
You read the book of Acts, we'll find out that, that women were involved in financing the ministry. It's interesting that Jesus would, would mention sister. I, I feel like the Apostle Paul, the Apostle Paul, when he's writing out the rules of the church and home, when he describes how we are to treat one another in the family of God, he takes this principle and further delineates for us how men and women should treat each other in the context of this new family we have. Here's what it says, 1 Timothy chapter 5, verses 1 and 2. <clears throat> First he says about the older men, do not rebuke an older man. It's like he knows. Like he knows that you guys are going to get real cranky, so it's not worth it. Don't rebuke the older man. Just encourage him. I mean, that's what it says. Just encourage the older man as you would a father. Treat him like, you, you know, your dad gets old. You just put up with stuff. Like, okay, you know what? That's fine, then. You know what's interesting to me? It's not so much that. It's, it's, it's how, um, what's the respect due to a woman? So you treat younger men as brothers. And then, and then in verse 2, the older women... You treat them like you would your own mother. It's Paul saying. You have a woman in church, you treat her like that. The level to which you would respect your own mother, you respect her. And then it turns to talk about the sisters. When they're younger women, the best thing you can do is think of her as a blood relative. You think of her as a sister. You think, you think purely. You, you treat her with tremendous respect and purity. And you have here this, this rules for what happens in the family of God. Men and women, boys and girls, purchased by the blood of Jesus, built on this bond of love, bound to one another by the Holy Spirit, living our lives to the glory of God our Father. You see, when you are, when you are in Christ, you are part of God's family. The gospel family, it's an exclusive family in, some in and out. It's a diverse family made up of all kinds of people. We're held together just by the gospel. It's a respectful family. There's a way that we live and treat one another. I'll give you one last one and I'll be done. <clears throat> Number five. God's family is an obvious family. It's real clear. There are going to be clear markers on who is actually part of the family. Notice what he says in verse 35. <clears throat> whoever does the will of God, for whoever does the will of God, he, that person, my brother or sister or mother, that person is actually in the family. As if, as if somehow this encounter isn't radical enough, I mean, it, it, I mean it's, a, it's radical that he would actually talk like that about his mom. Okay, that's, that's hard enough, enough for us to read. As if that's not radical enough, you see this paradigm shift as to who is actually a family member in verse 35. Here is the family connection. There's actual evidence that you really are a part of God's family in Christ. There will always be evidence 
and your confession of Jesus Christ as Lord, the truth of that confession is shown out in how you live. There will always be evidence. How do you know that you have a brother or sister in Christ? There's evidence. This is not saying that if you will, if you will do the will of God, then you can be in the family. This is saying if you are in the family, then you are doing the will of God. What's, what's, the, what's the mark? What's the mark? The evidence. It's obedience. Obedience is the mark that you are indeed in the family. It's, it's becoming increasingly it's becoming increasingly clear that we live in a world that is a twisted world that's devolved into ways that we can't talk about even here. And it becomes increasingly clear that who is, who is living for Christ and who is not. And, and as the, the church will, the church will shrink, the church will shrink, it will, it will. The, the visible church. The invisible church will grow strong and band together as a family. We live in a mission field. We live as missionaries that come from a family, the family of God, the family that has been purchased by the blood of Jesus. We've been adopted by His grace, and we now are His sons and daughters. And being a part of that family is a beautiful thing. You see, when you are, when you are in Christ, you are part of God's family. Two things. My hope is today that, that you actually have confidence. You've put your faith in Jesus. God is your Father through faith in Jesus. If that's true, we rejoice. You are my brother or sister. If not, you've heard this message today and it, it feels odd. You're not accustomed to really that straightforward a talk. Then we'd like to, to further the conversation. When everything's over today, our pastors will be out in the lobby. It's a good time to crank up a conversation. How do you become a member of the family of God? We're going to sing another song before we have our parent-child dedication. This song is a song of worship and a song of dedication. And during the song, I would invite any of you that if you're able and you're comfortable with the idea, you want to come and pray here, ask God to help you. You have a Maybe you have a family member you want to pray for that is outside of the family of God. You want to pray they would be inside. What a great time to do that as we sing together. If you join me now as we close in a word of prayer, then we'll have our song of invitation. Let's pray. Father, I pray that you would call men and women into your family through faith in Jesus. We thank you for the gospel that saved us. We thank you for the grace that covers us. We pray that today would be a day of focusing our attention on how good you've been to us. Moms and dads that are standing up here today with the children, we pray for them, Lord, in this world. We pray that you would be close, that you give them strength, you give them clarity of thought, that the gospel would be paramount in their homes. And we pray that you find our church faithful. Thank you, Lord, for the Lord's Day. Thank you that on the Lord's Day we can celebrate Mother's Day. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.